We've Hello. just rebranded at the as the complaint desk. <laughs> <laughs> We're so much more than that, Nathan. We're I so know. much more. Welcome to the Postlight Podcast. I am Chris Lasacco, the president of Postlight, and Gina's on vacation, so I am joined today by sometimes co-host, director of product management here at Postlight, Nathan Henry. Thanks for having me. Welcome uh, to the show, Nathan. So good. I love to be here. This is super fun, and I'm really, really excited about today. We're gonna we're gonna lay some bold claims. We're gonna lay some bold claims, and I think we're just gonna complain about the state of the internet right now. <laughs> well, there's a lot of a lot of complaints to be had. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. So uh, if you're listening to this and we we hit a button too close to home, like you might have some choices you need to make. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I, so we were going back and forth about UX patterns that we like and don't like and you sent me this list of things that are really great on you and i was reading along the list and just sort of not like uh-huh 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 so let let's dive in sometimes we talk about you know how to lead a large group or a large organization and the challenges and troubles there and other times we just complain about user experience well the, what i actually started this was we were talking about clicking a link and does it always have to open a new tab or new window like is that our default pattern and should, should that be advice and i think we might have different expectations on that one from a user perspective. Yeah, so my opinion is you should let the user decide whether or not they want to open a new tab. Links should be links. They should just point directly to the thing that they're linking to. And if I want to open a new tab, that's my prerogative, but you shouldn't do it on my behalf. A hundred percent. There's a back button in the browser Chrome for a reason. People know how to do that. My one exception, my carve out here is if I'm in the middle of a highly valuable action, like in a checkout flow on a cart or in something else where a user might inadvertently click on something that takes them out of that experience of converting a sign up or checking out that I would might do like, are you sure you meant to click on this? I might, I might put something in their way. So, but it depends on, you know, situational, but I'm with you. Like I know how the internet works. We've been doing browsers for what? 30 something years. We know how to bookmark. We can get back. If the user doesn't want to be on your site anymore, let them leave. Yes. Don't hold them hostage. Yes. When you're developing a rich application and checkout flow is like right on the border between website and application, you have to be a little more sensitive to what buttons do and and when things are going to take me out of something that I don't want to be out of. So I think you make a good point there. But if I'm just reading an article and it's a link to another web page, just link me to the other web page. That's why people end up, I mean, you look at someone's over someone's shoulder and they've got 67 tabs open. You can barely see the favicons and it's like... It was important one time and they've never gotten back to it. And then their computer is going to do an update or crash and that will be lost for forever. So it was very pointless in the whole turn of time of things. The other part is tabs as to do list is a real thing. Sorry. No, that is a thing. And I was just going to say, and like, We've all been burned by that. So like that's a whole other user pattern that we'll dive into another time. But yeah. yes, I, I agree. Tabs is a to-do list. It's not, it's not safe. It's not a, not a good strategy. Not a good strategy. Talk to me about video. Oh, Chris, I love video. I love multimedia. Okay. I think it's great. Okay, great. But let me decide when I want to play that video because mm. as I'm scrolling, I may not want that. And so I consume a lot of news. I'm a little bit of a political wonk. I love I love seeing and reading and especially like okay. congressional hearings. Oh, man, that's my downtime. I will go home. and This was your year then. It was my year. Oh, <laughs> January. Yeah, it was a lot of late night watching TV. <laughs> it, the interesting part is when I'm when I'm reading an article – 
and the video's auto-playing, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I'm not a novice internet user, but, like, am I supposed to read something or right. listen and watch something? Like, I can't do both things. I have yet to master that skill. Maybe there are people that have that. I want to be able to engage with the content that I want to first. I probably, my patterns would be to read the article to understand, do I care? Right. And then I would watch the video. Right. Because I don't want to engage in video if it's useless, unless it's something that I know is there. So the autoplay really bothers me. And then also like on YouTube, let me commit to my video that I want to watch before you start playing it for me. I don't know that I want your algorithm to decide the mood that I'm in at that time. So it's just weird. I don't, I don't love that. Give me the choice. I want agency on my video controls. I'm... With you 100%, I feel like site creators have mostly learned that you have to mute the video at least. It used to be that the video would play and stuff would start blaring out of your speakers and you would be like, oh my God, where's this noise coming from? Which tab? Because there's 64 of them open. (laughs) Right. I mean, the browsers implemented a little speaker icon on the tab because it was like, you don't know where this random audio track is being played from. But that's mostly – I mean it's it's pretty much widely accepted now that you can't autoplay video with sound. you got to mute the video. So that's at least a little better. A little but, bit better. But you're right. You read an article and then there, all of a sudden the video is like in the lower right-hand corner silently playing and it's incredibly distracting. And you, and I get it. Video ads make you more money than, print, than, uh, than digital ads. Okay, cool. But you can't draw my attention like that without a clear – flow. It's really frustrating. And my experience as a user is my instinct is to just get out of there. Like I don't, I'm, I'm not going to read this article. Then, yeah. I you don't know? know what's happening. There's too much noise. And then you give us a really good sample when that video goes to that bottom, right? By the time I'm done reading and I get to that video, that video now has played the second or third video in that series of clips I'm supposed to see, which oh, yeah. has nothing to do with the thing I've just read. And now as a user, I'm lost. I want out. I want to leave. I'm going somewhere else. Right. So never autoplay video. Is your guidance here. 100%. 100%. Show it. Like, you know, make it prominent. Make me want to click on it. But let me click on it when I want to click on right. it. Right. Give Auto me playing. control. Exactly. Auto-playing it. I'm going to miss the beginning. I'm going to miss what I'm supposed to be seeing. I don't have any context. I don't know what's going on. When a page loads, I, my attention is not there urgently. I might be doing something else. I might be... 64 other tabs. Who knows? We've got other things going. Yeah. Let me control my own journey. I'm curious. Do you feel the same thing holds for mobile? Like if you're on your phone, do you want videos to not autoplay? Same. See, Especially I, I even don't know on if mobile. I agree with you. Well, if it takes over my whole screen though, or I don't know, like if I'm scrolling, the viewport's so much smaller. Like I really, I want to know it's a video and I want to know that you have multimedia content because I love all kinds of content. But I still have the same experience. I want to make sure that I want to click on that first because in that regard, I actually want to watch the video to the full screen that I can on that smaller device. I want it to do okay, a takeover. Okay, that's a fair point. And I want, to, I want to control that. I don't want it to be a smaller, you know, one and a half inch thumbnail view of a video that I can't really interact with. I often have my phone, well, not often, I always have my phone on mute. So I'm never going to Me hear too. it anyway. Right. And I might be listening to music if it's not on mute. Like there's a whole lot of other. Do you use the ESPN app? Oh, all the time. So when you open ESPN, there's like a a set of like five or so headlines that are in the middle of the app. And then there's a video on top that auto plays on the home screen and it's silent and it's in the background. And in my mind, I don't know, that pattern kind of works. And if I'm interested in whatever's playing, I'll expand it to take over the whole screen of my phone. But it doesn't feel distracting in the way that when I open a web page and something starts drawing my attention that I didn't intend to watch, it's incredibly frustrating. 
So I don't know. It's something about the form factor. Fair point. Also, sports, maybe. I don't know. Like, there's something. Maybe that's action. a different. Yeah, who yeah. knows? I mean, that's that's a fair point because I use the app. I also scroll right past it because it's always either basketball or hockey. And I'm looking for <laughs> tennis news <laughs> first. Got it. I'm going tennis first. So if they put a tennis video up there, I'd watch it 10 out of 10 times. But they, they haven't targeted me yet. They don't know when I signed in that that's my flavor, even though they know I'm <laughs> only clicking on tennis news. That's a very interesting <laughs> user targeting uh, question. Come on, ESPN. Right. Uh, okay, next one. One, newsletters. I have so many thoughts on newsletters, Chris, but the one pet peeve, you know, do you ever have that person when you get into like a disagreement or an argument, they always have to have the last word? <laughs> that's, <laughs> I mean, of course. That's this, this people. When I unsubscribe from your marketing email, please don't email me letting me know that I've unsubscribed. Mm. I'm, I'm very well aware that I've unsubscribed. And it just feels like they're getting the last word. And I'm like, oh, we got you with one more email. Why? Like, I don't, <laughs> you don't have to get the last word okay. in, in that email. I have thoughts. I also, I was uh, walking here to prepare for this today. I got an email from a clothing place okay, that I've sure. bought clothes from yep. for a, a baby spring sale, like babies spring. I do oh not boy. have babies. Yeah. I've never shopped for babies. I, it's not a, like they've missed my mark. And I feel, again, you've got all my data, like you've targeted <laughs> me wrong. Uh, so I unsubscribed and sure enough, what did I get? You've unsubscribed from baby emails. Right. Yes, I did. I remember doing so. You're not even saying, don't take my data. Don't track me. You're not, you're not doing any of that. You're just saying, at least send me the relevant stuff. Yeah. yeah. I would have probably bought pants today, but not for a baby. Like you, you've missed. <laughs> the opportunity. Uh, okay. Yeah. But then got I got it. that last word. You know, like, you did, you unsub, yes, yeah. I, I did unsubscribe. Like, okay. Because I, so I don't want email. Right. Unsubscribe should be one click. 100%. Okay. Done and done. Got it. What about drop downs? Chris, nothing in life makes me feel older than a drop down <laughs> where I have to put in my date of birth. I don't feel like I'm very old, but as I'm scrolling, you're scrolling through all those years, 2020s and 2010s yeah. and 2000s and eight, 90s and 80s, and I finally get to mine and I'm like, my gosh, that was 27 minutes of time of scrolling that I'll never get back. It's not 27 minutes, but it's forever. Like it makes me feel old. Psychologically, it's doing some work. Defaulting, when you're putting in a birthday, defaulting to the current year, 2023, like that is a little ridiculous, right? But okay, so what should you default to? I think we have systems that are much smarter where I can just key it in and you can validate with maybe a rent okay, so control. don't even put a okay don't even put a drop down 100%. just let me yeah because i mean there's no good default here right like they're not even if you pick like 1990 that's still fine and better but like i still have a little bit of work to do and that's okay yeah i think about people who are born before me who use the internet like they, their scroll could be 50 more scroll deep than mine yeah the other thing here is not just date of birth it's also like countries a lot of times you have to put in your yes. country there's 160, how many, I don't know, two, I have no idea how many countries. There's a lot of countries. There's 160 that come to the Olympics. How about, how about that? Yeah. So there's more than that. And like, we should be able to pick based on the browser where you are or let you type something in that can be mapped. There's, there's smarter patterns that are out there. And like, it's just, you know, sometimes I type in United States and it doesn't, you know, United, that doesn't come up. And so I'm going through use or I have to scroll. USA or something. Yeah. yeah. It just, it's too much. And I just think there are, there are way smarter things that we figured out. Like this is like a bare minimum lift because at the end of the day, like you should want me to convert that form, whether I'm buying something or mm-hmm. checking out or whatever that high value action that you're asking this personal data. Right. Lower the barrier. Friction. Make it frictionless or as friction free as you can, those are just small things that like I'm going to convert because if I have to scroll looking for United States, 
If it's not the, sometimes they put it at the top, which that's a bold claim. I love that, but then I'm, I go to the U, it's not there, so I go all the way back. It's just there's no consistency. It's um, just not great. I'm with you. This makes me think of two things. The first one is if you are implementing a custom form control of some kind, you should make it support type ahead. So always, if you're doing a drop down a select box with the native operating system control, when when it is selected, you can type. So I could type UNI or USA, and hopefully I'm going to get to the United States. And Even United much- Kingdom, and I can scroll one. That's a win. <laughs> right. I'll take that. <laughs> but it's much easier when I'm in the keyboard and I'm entering a form, right, to just keep going and tabbing through those fields, right? So don't break the accessibility of the control if you're implementing a custom control. That's number one. Number two, I liked what you said before about being a little creative when you are entering data when you're doing something like an address, right? If I can type in a postal code, a zip code, and I get city and state because it auto-completes, right? I type in my zip code and then there's my city and state and I can jump right to the next field. That's even better. Shopify does this really well. Yes, They have nailed the checkout flow and they make it super easy to just get through that thing as fast as possible. And one of the ways they do it is with autocomplete zip code. The other They're, part they do is they make it hard to leave. So what they've learned, like it's, it's easy to complete, it's, but it's also hard to leave because it, it's very low friction. So yeah. I put in my zip code, it pulls in all the rest of the details. Well, now I'm putting in my credit card. And before I know it, I've bought the thing That's that the I thing. didn't know I needed. And right. I love that I did that for me. Yeah. <laughs> Apple Pay is also great, by the way. We're oh, talking about checkout flow. 100%. Everybody should have Apple Pay. Uh, yes. And if you don't take it, like I... Don't love that. Then yeah. I have to like, get my credit card on my wallet. I don't even know my wallet. It's just too much. It's right. too much. Again, you haven't bought the pants that you were going to buy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Let's go to navigation. So navigation is a constant sort of thorn in users' sides in a lot of different areas. I think what, what we want to talk about is mobile versus desktop. So let's let's dive in there a little bit. There's a lot here, and I understand. You know, people they build pages, they have lots of content, they want you to engage with all their contents, so they want to put it all in the menu, and here's all the things that we have, and click on all the pages. Okay, well, Mega Menu was a whole thing that we learned a while ago. Like the that's old not, Mega Menu. Yeah, nobody wants that. So now there's like various levels of navigation and, and sub navigations and all of the things. Okay, fine. So I finally figure out how to get through the navigation. That's not even my complaint. That's just setting the bar for, for how low we're about to jump in. And so I go to a page on mobile with a navigation that I experience on desktop and that page not supported on mobile. Well, then why is it in your navigation? Mm. Like either be either bring parity or update your navigation to give me the page and the experience that I can have on the device that I'm using That's it. That's a great point. That happens so often and it's super frustrating. Yeah. My questions are, if you're developing this rich content that you want everyone to experience, why is it not available on mobile? Like why, what decision is that made? Maybe there's it's a valid decision. That's but people fine. are using their phones. People are using their iPads. Always. Like, yeah. And, but also like it's, I'm going to just leave your site because right. if I click on a page that I'm somehow interested in, you've lured me in this mega menu myriad of, of, of choices. I get there and then it's not supported. I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else. Like that's just kind of the first part of like my trust is eroded. I question your UX choices. I question your content choices. Oh, completely. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And if I go on the desktop and I see that it's there, then it makes me even less comfortable with the choices that you've made as a company and, and maybe the vendors that you've hired. So I don't know. It, it's a specific nit, but I, I I feel like once I navigate into your world of, of a labyrinth of choices, I want that content to be there so they can then judge you on your content, not your choices of available content marketing. I feel like a few years ago, it was very in vogue to do mobile first designs where you designed everything, you know, to work on the phone to start. And then you figured out how to expand it to the desktop. 
but it led to, I mean, maybe it's not directly related, but it's, it's a tangent where you've got phone designs and desktop designs and they don't always marry correctly. And I think it leads to weird interactions, choices, yeah. weird choices, like the ones you're describing where you, you anticipate getting something, but it's not there. And then you leave frustrated. I've seen the opposite happen too, where you're browsing on your laptop and you go to a page and it's clearly a like mobile targeted version that has just been blown up. And so it's really hard to get around because the screen real estate is just not used effectively. These examples of like not considered designs and we are, we're software people. We like to think about being design driven in everything we do. And so when we're using applications, phone, desktop, or otherwise, and you get something that feels very out of place, it's jarring. And it and it makes me want to, you know, quit the whole thing, right? And go away from whatever I'm looking at. Quote, unquote, normal users, they feel the same thing, right? They feel the same frustration when something's not available or the same frustration when they want to use their whole screen and they can't. Like these things are, I mean, it's 2023. Again, like use modern design principles, right? Responsive design has been around for a long time now. Make sure that your content fits the viewport that it's being looked at in. Actually, then one of the best pieces of counsel I ever gave to a client, this is a long time ago, we made certain changes and trade-offs in like the user experience. And I was like, great, I want to watch you navigate these pages. And I kind of gave them the power of their phone and, and the desktop experience of them navigating their own content. And they got frustrated at some of their decisions at the menu. See? And they got frustrated at some of the real estate decisions that you were just talking about. And like, that's the important part of like, you also are a user. Like you have to make sure that your decisions as a company or as a designer or whatever spectrum you're on have to be through the lens of the user. Exactly. And, and I try to pride myself on smart user decisions on everything I do. And then when I'm the recipient as a user and I get a bad experience, like I have a, like almost a visceral reaction of like, get me out of here. I want to, I want to leave. This is uncomfortable. Like I just it makes me feel like there's bad choices that have been made and I don't right. want to be part of it. Right. I totally agree. And I mean, that's a perfect segue into our next bullet, which is a big one, right? Oh, this, this is, I'm triggered already just thinking about it. Pop-ups. Hate it. Modals. Can't. All of it. Chris, I have to tell you something I do, personal story, every Friday at noon, I, I listen to a lot of music from the UK and, and the charts oh, okay. come out at noon on Friday. Okay. Well, I would spend the amount of time in my life I've wasted clicking two series of modals to get to the chart that's been released. <sighs> I actually took matters into my own hands and I built my own web scraper and like an automation. <laughs> are you serious? So it just slacks me the chart, the top 10 that I want to know. I just want to know like what songs are top 10, what albums are top 10 and what the, what was the highest entry. But every time I would go to this page, I would have to get a privacy pop up. Then I'd have to get an email, like opt into our email, and then I would get like hot news of the day. Go click on this. New- no, I, I want none of those things. Oh I just want to know what song went where, what album came out. Like that's all I care about. And so I no longer go to this particular page. I just get an automation every Friday. It's about twelve thirty because I, you know, sometimes are a little bit late. That's how I got around. That's how much I hate modals and pop ups. Like yeah. don't interrupt my experience for something that's. I don't know that I want to engage in your content yet. Imagine this first time I'm on the website. Like, how do I know I want to sign up? How do I know I want to, I don't know what you are yet. Okay. So number one, I admire that you did that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice work. Triggered. I told you triggered. (laughs) Number two, here's how I view these things, looking at it through the lens of, of a product thinker and a product strategist. To me, this feels like data driven decision-making gone awry because I guarantee you putting a newsletter sign up in a pop-up right when someone lands on the page 
it's going to convert better because it's right there smack dab in someone's face. And they're like, I just want to read this article. Let me figure out how to get past this. And sometimes the easiest way to get past it is filling it in, right? Especially for a novice user who's not thinking about the impact of their actions necessarily. They're like, I just want to get to this bon appetit recipe. So I'm just going to put in my email address so I can get to the dang recipe, you know? But what you don't see in looking at the data, you're like, oh, conversions went up. We got more newsletter signups. Let's make sure we've got this pop-up front and center. What you're not seeing in the data is you are driving your users crazy and they are so frustrated by what they are seeing, especially, you know, the people who, you know, they put in their signup and then they immediately unsubscribe when they get the first email because they never want it in the first place. Yeah, it's not a valued lead. Garbage in, garbage out. That's garbage the whole in, thing. garbage and out. Like, you know, sometimes like I'll get sent links to something and I get the same experience. Like I've never been to this site before. I'm not a chef. So if you sent me that Bon Appetit recipe, I'm going to click on it because you're a trusted friend and I would click on that. But I'm not going to engage because I don't want that email. Like I, I want you to maybe bake something for me and bring it. But like I'm not going to do the work. Right. I'm not a high value lead there. Similar like that first experience of like the first time I ever went to a, a site. If that if I'm just getting a modal and a sign up and all these things, like I just want to know your content first before I get involved. A smarter strategy might be for my sample that I was talking about is let me see the chart. And then if I click into something and see, reveal the numbers, how many albums were sold this week. And now I'm actually contributing to your funnel. I'm high valued. I want to know the stats. I want to know the data. That makes more sense to then make an embedded ask of like, you want these numbers? Give us your email. Okay. I'll enter in a a little dance at that time. But otherwise I'm just, I'm just going to dismiss that 10 times out of 10. And if I can't dismiss it, I'm going to go away from your site and I'm never going to come back. Yeah. I think it's easy to to be misled by data. I think that's why we see some of these like anti-patterns that really feel bad as a user, but continually get implemented, right? The newsletter sign up, pop up. I mean, the cookie pop up is is mandated, right? By for law, sure, for sure. there are some good implementations of that and some not so good implementations of that. So that's, I always appreciate when I go to a site that handles cookie privacy notices in a really elegant way. Cause I'm like, okay, you care about me as a user versus there's like these tools that you can just drop in kind of out of the box to make sure that you are compliant with, with the global data protection laws. And they're almost universally a bad experience. (laughs) Like I, I honestly can't sit here and think of a time where I got a pop up for something, um, a modal dialogue for something. And I was like, Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you for putting that in front of my face. You know, Zero. almost all of the time, there's going to be a better way to handle it. There's going to be a better, just like you were describing, a better, more logical place in the journey that I'm going on as a user for that to, to surface in a more natural way easy way where I can opt into it rather than it being forced upon me. I think you're right. I think a marketer wants 20,000 conversions, but I think about that in like my life. Do I want 20,000 friends that I might be able to contact or do I want five people who I can go to dinner with who I know are going to split the check? Like I want those five people. Yeah. You're hitting on something really good, which is the quality of the conversion, right? And just looking at the raw numbers doesn't tell you that you got to go one level deeper. Yeah, because then you wonder, well, why aren't they converting? And why aren't they? Well, they weren't good leads in the first place. They weren't like, good leads it's just numbers. Place. Numbers don't mean anything if there's no context or, or quality controls behind that. And I think that's the strategy here of opt ins. Like, we haven't moved the needle on a smarter way to do that, to convert those as high quality people or even people that can be converted to high quality. That doesn't, again, garbage in, garbage out. Like, if they're not intended to be in your funnel, don't let them into your funnel. Right. You don't want to cast so wide a net that you're just pulling in nonsense. Yeah, just numbers. Okay, somewhat related to this, 
You have a hot take on internet ads. I get it. And and my hot take is that I'm not going to say we should ban them. I'm not going to go there because I understand we should have ads. People need to monetize things. I get that. This is how publishers make money. They pay their writers. You know, we want this. 100%. So let's let's not even make an ad-free experience. Let's, I'm going to keep your ads, but... My hot claim here is we have put people on the moon. We've sent tourists to the moon. We are we're, we're – Wait, have we sent tourists to the moon? I think you can pay like SpaceX. To like you know, yeah. fly by the moon? Yeah, I think you can like go up. It was like 17 minutes. Yeah, the whole thing. Okay. So we're, we're doing that. Chat GPT, we're having robots tell us how to write stories and songs to our children at sure. night. Like that's yeah. a thing that's happening. But we have yet to come up with a better way to display ads. I question this. And and I, if you're listening to this and you have a media company, you should hire Postlight because we can fix this for you and be revolutionary. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, my bold claim here is is we can do better here. So again, I told you I consume just a tremendous amount of news. There's always ads. I get it. I understand we have – publishers have to make this money. But the ads never have anything to do with my preferences, what I want to do, or it's not served to me in the way that makes sense to me. And, and I think about this – I'm not often on Instagram, but do you know why Instagram has such a high-value conversion of ads? No. The ads look like Instagram. They look exactly like content that is shared from your friends and your family and all the other things. Well, I go on a news website and I I very clearly can tell you, oh, that's news. That's an ad. We are so conditioned to not click on an ad because why would you want to engage on just some general ad? Instagram has this right. I'm scrolling through my feed and I see, oh, that's a cool T-shirt that has the word tennis on it. Oh, I love that. Like, But it's just another photo or another video. 100%. But it, the way it's presented, it looks like content that is supposed to be there for me. Of course, there's an algorithm doing some work. It's, it's highlighting me on my, my likes. So again, the data comes into play where we're not using the data, especially when a website has – not even just my cookies, but they have my name, my zip code, my preferences, like serve me ads that are adjacent to things that I'm into and are published and styled in a way that makes it feel like actual content and not sort of add on extra noise that I don't want to click on. See, this is so interesting, Nathan, because I think a lot of people would hear that and feel really invaded by hearing you describe, use all of my data, put something in front of me that looks like real content, but it's actually an ad. Like a lot of people feel really concerned about this and they want they want the opposite actually. They want a more stricter delineation between what is published content and what is sponsored content and how much of my data are you using and let me opt out if I don't want you to use my data. I, I agree with that. Like I want data controls. I want to give you what I feel comfortable giving you. But but if I'm comfortable giving you my zip code and categories of news that I like or categories of news that I don't, I would actually, another hot take, I would pay so much money to have like negative keywords take news out of my feed. Oh, you have no interesting. idea. Oh my goodness. I could give you 10 names right now of things I don't ever want to see and I would pay you, I don't know, 19 bucks a month. I would. That, that'd be worth it. <laughs> okay. I would get around I like that. how you had that number at the ready. It sounded pretty good. It wasn't yeah, 20. Right. Market it. Uh, but so I agree with you. I still want to control my data. But if I'm comfortable giving you pieces of, let's say, my zip code or the industry that I work in or whatever those things are that I am comfortable with and I can retract and withdraw at any time, I do want that curated experience. Use that data in a way that makes my experience better. I've, I've opted in to give you this data point. Take that and help me have a better experience on your website. Again, kind of goes back to the targeting. Like, 
I've already said here on this, you know, I'm not going to cook. What what data is available here? I, I don't like to cook. I said something about tennis. Like, oh, and I no children. And I don't want baby emails. Like, th- so that's data points right there that are available. So even as a marketer, like you could start to build this profile. That's free information I've given that, that's available to me. So now that should be packaged in a way where I'm getting content that makes sense to me and also is displayed visually in a way that I want to interact with it. That's the second part here is like a lot of these ads they look like ads. I'm not going to click on that because I know I'm going to be sold to. And I'm going to be sold to something that I don't yeah. know if it's meant for me. Like yeah. if it's a car, I don't care or whatever. The, the things that I don't care about, like those are the ads. I'm saying use my data that I'm giving you and make my experience better. I think that makes my overall experience better because I'm seeing things that I like. It's going to make me want to maybe stay there a little bit longer, especially if the ads look like content, or at least they look better than they do in the current form. You know, we've got the same ad treatments of, you know, billboards and leaderboards and pencil ads. All of that's been the same since the 90 whatever age of of ads. Like no one's pushed that a little bit better. I would have a better experience if there was one targeted ad that you can have a high likelihood that I'm going to click on and interact with that ad in some way. Yeah. That would be way more valuable for, I think, companies to buy ads in that way, I would imagine. I mean, I will go on record as saying I, I half agree with you. I don't know that I'm there with the use my data to give me better stuff. I think that's still fraught in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of data collection happens surreptitiously, like without me knowing. And I like that you said before, I want data control because I think we don't really have data control. Again, we have cookie pop-ups. Like that's like kind of the most of exactly. what we've got. I don't know about if I agree with you on the targeting. What I do agree with you on is advertisers can be can do better. Marketers can do better. We don't want to just slam in banner ads that we've always been creating alongside an article or worse within or on top of an article and assume that's going to be the best way to do it. There are better ways. There are companies that do this really well, actually, um, that have really nice sponsorships or advertising that fits with the overall experience. It's still an ad and they're, and they're labeled as such, but it, feels more natural. And I think what you're reacting to and I very much relate to is something that feels very unnatural, like a big, tall um, billboard that's slammed up alongside an article I'm trying to read. Something that's interesting about this medium, the podcast medium, right, is you've got two very different approaches to advertising. You've got programmatic ads that are just jammed in at the time of download that can be related to what you're listening to or cannot be. And it's, you know, I've listened to podcasts where I'm like, oh, this ad was just like, you know, shoehorned in after the fact because it doesn't belong at all. And then you've got the podcast where they, the host of the show reads a, does an ad read and they read a, you know, 30 second or one minute script that talks about the product. Oftentimes it's, it's a sponsorship that the host believes in, right? Because they wanted to take on this, um, this advertiser. Um, that's not always the case. I think sometimes you'll hear like a stilted ad read because the host is like, I'm not sure that I've totally bought it. <laughs> sure. you know, I'm not a user of this. Super not authentic. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, it does feel natural. And, and sometimes I, you know, as a, again, as a podcast listener, this is not a podcast with ads, but as a podcast listener, sometimes I'll skip the ads, but very often I won't, right? I'm driving and I'm like, oh, I, okay, I'll listen to this. And that's interesting. And I might want to make a note to like, look up a sponsor after the fact, because they sound interesting. And that feels like a very, it's much more like, likely to get me to 
quote unquote convert because I'm interested in whatever the host is talking about because they're, you know, putting it in front of me. But you're loyal to either that host or the content or that podcast. You've built that relationship. I mean, that's true. That's true. S- similar, like I-, I won't put anyone on full blast, but the various media outlets that I go to, like I'm loyal to them. I go to the same one. So like I I trust and I believe in them. Like they could do better. And maybe we don't go as far as targeting. That could be a bridge too far. But even just making that experience smoother more streamlined, just even just the UX of ad placements. I, I just feel like we could just do better. And I know impressions right. are part of this and clicks are part of this, but I just feel like I'm going to see it. But does that matter if I don't click? Like that's yeah. an impression doesn't do much for me. But yeah, partnerships are good. I get an email that has, it's a ginormous ad and it's about a partnership, but it's related to the content that I'm about to read. That I'm okay with because it doesn't take away from, and it's an advertisement that I will interact with because I know that they're bringing me this trusted content from this author that I care to to have a you know, relationship with as a reader. I think we should leave it there. There are like seven more things on this list that we could talk about. You don't want um, my hot take on the Amazon homepage that it should just be a menu. That's it. There should be nothing. Ooh, that on is that. a hot take. There should be nothing but a menu in a search bar. That's all that anyone uses. Tell me differently. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you have thoughts on what we talked about or apparently on the Amazon.com homepage or you work at Amazon. Hey, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can send all feedback directly to Nathan Henry. No, uh, <laughs> hello at postlight.com. That is the best way to get in touch with us we love talking about this stuff and this was a little bit gripe session a little bit you know hopefully some guidance for some some people listening but the reality is these are the kinds of things that we talk about in all of the projects that we have going we want to make sure that the user experience is prioritized above all else and we're making sure that we are driving our software platforms to do well and whatever do well means, right? A higher conversion rate, a better employee efficiency rating, um, higher customer satisfaction. These are all the things that we care about on behalf of our clients. And we really take to heart as we're thinking about building software platforms. So if you've got a challenge like this, or if you just want to complain about something, hello at postate.com. That is the email address to use. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for letting me gripe for, for this time. Absolutely. And appreciate you all listening. Take care. We will talk to you soon.